0: Welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. I'm delighted to be joined once again by Heather Tanzi, who's Vice President for Environmental Sustainability at Cargill. Welcome to the podcast once again, Heather. Thank you, Ian. It's great to be here. We're going to talk a bit today about future-proofing food systems. To what extent do you think that we should be concerned about a lack of future-proofing in existing food systems?
1: We as a global community have really experienced some shocks to our global supply chains over the last couple of years, whether it was COVID, the conflict in Ukraine, or even you know, just some of the ongoing stresses that we have to our transportation systems. So this is a topic that is of critical importance to Cargill. We have um, the unique ability and, dare I say, responsibility to help the food system address insecurity in a more sustainable way. And we do that really by leveraging our position at the center of the agricultural supply chain. So one of the powerful things for Cargill is that we sit as a connector, both going up the supply chain, working with farmers and ranchers, and then helping connect them down through to our customers who eventually are putting the food on the plates of consumers. So to your question, Ian, should we be concerned? At a high level, no. The food system is strong and resilient and we're constantly working to prepare for the unpredictable things that happen, but we also have to be aware and informed and we can't take our eyes off the ball, so to speak on this particular challenges there. The food system faces a lot of stresses and it's critical that companies like Cargill are engaged and thinking about how do we prepare the food system to be robust and resilient into the future
0: interesting you say that you feel a responsibility at Congo. Why is that?
1: Just as a global food company, our purpose is to nourish the world in a safe, responsible, and sustainable way. In order for us to achieve that purpose, right, we have to think about what does a future-proof food system look like? How do we ensure that our food systems are resilient, that farmers are able to access markets to produce food that can move around the world? Today, there are lots of challenges, right, that the food system faces. In particular, I think about climate change. Climate change is having a direct and growing impact on people and the planet. And so it's critical for the food and agricultural industry to start to address these challenges.
0: What are the driving factors then behind potential future food supply shocks, do you think?
1: I mentioned a bit about climate change. Climate change is a really critical issue that we need to address. We're already starting to see impacts to our agricultural systems where you may have water challenges in our supply chain. And we really need to think about that and take a localized approach to what can be global challenges that we're facing across the food system. You think about about water challenges as an example. You need to think about what happens specifically at a particular farm in a particular community or jurisdiction Really optimize your solutions to solve for whatever those local challenges are. And when I think about climate change and and some of the impacts that our supply chain sees, I think about conversations that I've had with farmers across southern Minnesota and Iowa. We're working with them to implement regenerative agricultural practices like cover crops and no-till. And part of the reason why the farmers are telling us that they're interested in these practices is that they're concerned about the cost to irrigate and the cost of pumping water to grow the crops. By using regenerative agriculture, they know that they will reduce their dependency on water and reduce their costs overall. So it's helping them to be more resilient in a system where water scarcity is increasing due to some of the changes that we're seeing in the climate. We hear similar things in Mexico, as an example. So we work with farmers there to address and implement technology that can help reduce their reliance on local water. And so again, it's, it's really about figuring out what makes sense in that local area.
0: Any other drivers in? We've talked about some of the environmental ones, Well, any other driving factors behind potential food supply shocks?
1: It's thinking holistically about how do we have strong markets, right? Helping farmers to access and bring their goods to market, helping to connect them to the supply chains that are helping to bring food to the tables. Investing in our farming community is another critical piece in that puzzle there.
0: We hear a lot about the need for farmer incomes to be secured and to be sustainable, and that's really a key part of ensuring against future food supply challenges.
1: When we think about it, farmers have a very challenging job, right? They are the ultimate stewards of the environment, but they're also in a very high risk business and they have tight margins and implementing new types of practices can be very difficult for them, right? They're taking a lot of risk into their business. And it's one of the things that Cargill's been trying to do is really create new income opportunities for farmers around sustainability. So we've launched a program called Reject And Connect a few years ago. And really what we're doing in that program is we're working with farmers to implement regenerative agricultural practices on their farm and sequester carbon. But we're also paying the farmers for that practice We're actually paying them an upfront payment based on the expected results and then paying them for the results at the end. They get half of the money upfront and then half of the money at the end of it. It allows farmers to have a broadened um, source of income. So they're not just making the income from say the corn that they're growing, but also from the carbon that they're sequestering.
0: Do you think that the food sector accepts that there are all these different actions that are required to keep thinking about shooting against future food shocks?
1: Absolutely. I think the food sector doesn't just accept it. I think it is really taking a leadership position to address it. The impacts of global climate change and water scarcity are core to how we produce food. One of the things that makes me most optimistic about the world and future-proofing our food system is the strong collaboration that I'm seeing from players across the food sector. And that includes both our customers, farmers, as well as NGOs that are working in the space. One of the programs that Cargill launched about four years ago was called Beef Up Sustainability. And it's probably our largest and most ambitious program to address climate change. And one of the things that's the secret to its success is that it pulls together our customers as well as NGOs that are working in the supply chain in a common vision. So with Beef Up, we're focused on how do we reduce the carbon impact of beef production in North America? North America is already a really efficient supply chain, 35% more efficient than the global average when it comes to carbon. But we're looking at how do we drive that further and how do we make even more reductions? And so what we're doing in that program is we're partnering with folks like the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation and customers like McDonald's, Burger King, Target, Nestle, Taco Bell, Walmart, as well as pulling ranchers to the table to say, what types of innovations can we start to test and scale throughout that beef supply chain? And to me, it's the power of collaboration and the power of learning that really makes a big difference.
0: How should supply chains be prepared for the inevitable challenges as we go forward and deal with the likes of the climate change issues, the water issues, conflicts, and ensuring just transition as well? What do supply chains need to be doing to prepare for these challenges?
1: I think it's critical for supply chains to be thinking about how do they both put themselves on a trajectory to reduce their climate impacts, right? It's critical that we find ways to sequester and remove carbon from the practices that we have in our supply chain, but it's all critical that we think about how do we adapt to the situation that we're in today? Climate change is real. We're seeing it on the ground. It's important to have a focus on reduction of emissions as well as that adaptation piece. And so, I mean, I talked a bit about our beef up sustainability program, you know, that's very much focused on how do we implement practices like improved grazing that has impacts in terms of sequestering carbon, creating better habitat for wildlife, but it also creates a more resilient ranch. So it means that the impacts of drought or other water challenges are minimized because of the grazing practices. You've got that twofer, if you will, right? You have the impact of reducing emissions. And as an example, BFOP is estimated to have over 2 billion metric tons of carbon reduced through the program, through just through sustainable grazing practices. But you also have that increased resiliency to changes and impacts. So as an example, BFOP has an estimated positive impact from grassland restoration is more than 25%. 5 billion litres of water saved and a reduction of close to 500 metric tonnes of pollution due to reduced runoff and impact from the agricultural sector. So it's really important, I think, to be thinking about both of those things in concert.
0: You mentioned a lot of brands just now. What do you want to see from them in helping you and helping your growers to really get to grips with all these issues? And again, back to thinking about preparing for potential future supply shocks? I think it's about bringing that
1: collaboration to the table. It's about helping to invest in innovative solutions. I think we as Cargill is sitting in the center of the supply chain, play a really critical role in partnering and connecting our customers right back to the farmers. We play an important role in listening to farmers and understanding what their challenges are and then how can we bring solutions to the table to help them implement the practices that they're looking to do. Brands downstream can play a critical role in scaling and de-risking innovative practices. A perfect example of this is a project that we've just launched with Nestle. In the UK, we have a cocoa production facility, a confectionery site. And we're looking at how can we take cocoa shells. So it's really a waste product coming out of chocolate production and use them as a potential input into low-carbon fertilizer by Nestle and Cargill partnering together. We're looking at how can we use this waste product, right, to create an innovation and reduce the carbon impacts of the agricultural community in the UK. And if successful, we believe that this project could lead to up to 7,000 tons of low carbon fertilizer being produced and offered to farmers in Nestle's UK wheat supply chain. It's about making those things possible. It's about thinking about our systems in new ways and finding ways to bring innovations, to farmers and help them scale them.
0: Are you seeing a real level of interest and willingness to take things forward? We talked a bit about this before, about the food system as a whole, except the need for these to the change. Are you seeing that from the sort of brands that you mentioned?
1: Absolutely. What we're seeing is a growing focus on acting today, acting urgently, right? <laughs> Making moves, partnering with farmers on those projects that both reduce and adapt. I'm seeing a greater focus on innovation and partnership in the space. And I've talked a bit about innovation from thinking about waste in a new way. We're also thinking about how do we transport and move products in different ways. Another exciting thing that Cargill has launched over the last couple of months is this concept of wind wings. So we're working with Bar Technologies and Yara Marine Technologies to test out what seems like kind of a simple idea, right? We used to have our ships moved by wind, but what if we rethink about it? So we're testing these rigid sails. They're essentially made of steel and glass. And and what they do is they help Cut the fuel consumption of a container ship by roughly a fifth. Bringing common sense ideas like how do we leverage the power of wind to major shipping routes to help reduce the carbon impact of moving products around the globe. It's just critical for brands to start to really question and look at every part of their supply chain and say, how can we innovate? How can we bring different solutions to the table? How can we support farmers to implement the practices that they're looking at doing? Throughout their supply chains.
0: And I guess a large part of this for some brands is going to be reconnecting them with the growing communities, the farmers, as you mentioned. If you are, for example, in the sourcing cocoa, there's been a growing sense of crisis in the cocoa supply because the farming communities were increasingly ageing, increasingly very much located in that core part of Ghana, Côte d'Ivoire and West Africa. There was almost a sense that without action on behalf of the brands and their partners, there's a real sense that there was a supply crisis for cocoa. And like reconnecting with so many cocoa initiatives seemed to be all about reconnecting the consumer selection to a sort of extent, but then also particularly the brands with their farmers. Are there any other commodities where you've seen that sort of approach?
1: You know, I think you're absolutely right. And cocoa is a great example of that, right? I I think it's important to look at the different supply chains and understand what the unique challenges that each supply chain is facing. And cocoa and chocolate is a great example. If I think about the farmers that we're sourcing from across West Africa, in many cases, those communities are facing significant water pressure. As we're looking at building a resilient food system, how do we ensure that we're addressing the challenges that our farmers are facing. As an example, Cargill is working with Global Water Challenge, right, to understand what the water risks are in the specific communities. Where are the farmers that are growing the cocoa that is made into chocolate around the world are living and working? Through the work that we're doing with Global Water Challenge, we've invested $3 million over three years, and we're working to specifically understand what are the risks, what are the challenges to having safe drinking water and sanitation, and then developing strategies that target the specific needs of those specific communities. And I think taking that localized approach to what the challenges are on the ground is really critical to advancing that sustainable food system in those different areas.
0: Clearly, it's an evolving, fast-moving situation in many instances. But what are the knowledge gaps? Where do we need to be learning more as we go forwards?
1: You know, I think it's about bringing more people to the table and helping people understand what the specific challenges are. Because we've talked about cocoa and chocolate, we've talked about farmers in Iowa and water stress. Sometimes the innovators in the world that are building these solutions don't necessarily have access, right, to the farmers that are having the challenges or day-to-day trying to drive a sustainable food system. Bringing people together to help people better understand what those day-to-day challenges are can be very powerful. A good example of this would be, I was privileged to, we traveled to Brazil last spring and meet with a number of our farmers as well as meeting with a number of innovators. And so we partner with a group called Ag Tech Garage. It's kind of a startup incubator where they pull together a whole series of small companies there where innovators are looking to make agriculture more sustainable, find ways for them to partner together. And when I connected with a number of innovators, one of the things that they told me, you know, loud and clearly was that they just don't feel like they have access to the farmers. And they can think about what might be better in that space, but they need more access to both the farmers as well as to our downstream customers in the food chain. And that led to a workshop that we're hosting where we're pulling together innovators in Brazil, farmers that are working on the ground to implement more sustainable agriculture techniques, as well as food companies to really have a candid conversation on what are the challenges and what are the solutions that are needed in that space. We hope by creating those connections that we're able to create that spark where we really help to bring those new ideas forward. I think it's just getting more attention on this space, having more folks be better informed about what the particular challenges are, and then creating those opportunities for partnership and collaboration.
0: Is this all part of the decommoditization of supply chains that we've heard about?
1: It's about helping raise the voices of farmers. I don't know if it's a decommoditizing as much as it's helping to create connections amongst innovators in that system, as well as the growers of the food. What are the solutions that we need to scale and bring forward to make our food systems and to continue to make them future-proof?
0: Ultimately then, is a truly high yield, low impact food system possible, do you think? I believe that it is. We
1: have been seeing significant improvements to our food system year over year for decades. And we know that there are best practices in certain geographies and certain parts of the world that we can scale and apply globally. We're very excited to see how we can do that. I believe we've seen some great steps and we're continuing to work there. As an example, in North America, Cargill partnered with the Soil Health Institute to really understand the impact of regenerative soil health systems to better understand how we can scale them more broadly across North America, but also bring those practices to other parts of the world where they may not be used as commonly. And and some of the things that were critical in that is just understanding what the impacts of those practices are. And we found that implementing regenerative agricultural practices when we interviewed 100 farmers in the Midwest... 85% of them said, yeah, it's actually increasing their net income. We were able to even narrow it down to the dollars that they were seeing per acre. So uh, corn farmers, as an example, saw an increase of $52 per acre by growing corn. So these practices can really be impactful. They also reported, I think 97% of farmers talked about increased crop resilience to extreme weather and 67% reported higher yield. So these are really impactful practices that we just need to invest in helping farmers to scale. It's many cases farmers know and understand these, but they need access to capital to help implement them across their food systems. I am really continue to be excited by the innovation that I'm seeing in the space, the progress that's going on, and truly believe that we will be able to continue to scale these practices into the future and drive a greater and greater efficiency and sustainability of our food systems.
0: It does feel that we're going away from the pilots that never fail and never scale time to really getting to times now where there are solutions that can work at scale and are gonna make a big difference going forward and the enthusiasm to see it through. We've talked about a lot of issues today What's the one thing that you think people should be thinking about when it comes to future-proofing the food system?
1: I probably sound a little bit like a broken record, Ian, because I do think food systems and resiliency start with farmers. We have to partner with and listen to farmers. They're the ultimate stewards of the environment and the earth. I think we have an important role, folks like Cargill and folks in the food sector, in elevating their voices, investing in training, investing in practice change for them, and then working alongside them to help them achieve our collective goals for the planet. Working with farmers and elevating their voices is just key to how we're going to drive progress in this space.
0: Well, it's certainly always really interesting to hear from farmers. We do involve farmers now in our events as best we can, and also we get them appearing in the podcast weekly at the moment. We're very, very keen to get farmers' voices. For now, though, Heather Tanzi from Cargill. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Anne. This has
1: been great to have a good chat with you.